Welcome and good morning. If you would, let's please stand, wave to someone, maybe give them an elbow, make sure everyone feels welcome this morning. Your presence is an 
if anyone here is like me, which most of you are, you are a parent, and you know parenting is all about teaching our kids about choices that they make, good or bad. Um, for some of us, the choice is simple, like what are we going to have for dinner? But then other things are much more impactful. And choices are things that no matter how young or how old, we constantly have to make. For all of us already, we've made a choice to be here or to watch online. We've either choose to brush our teeth or not brush our teeth. But it can go much further than that. This weekend, here in a little bit, I'm watching the clock. I'm anticipating myself, nine, or excuse me, eight other adults and 40 plus students were going to go down to Gatlinburg for a fall retreat. And not to take the cat out of the bag, but that's what we're going to, at the end of the day, the core is the choices that we are making. Are we just believing or are we following? There's a huge difference there. We can believe and kind of just go throughout our day, but to follow, follow means we have to trust. Follow means we have to let go. Follow means, man, this is going to be on my reputation, on my image, on my life. Speaking of life and choices, during communion, I get caught up. I get emotional. I imagine Jesus being in the garden. Man, he had a choice. He could have simply walked away. God, this is way too big for me. These people don't deserve what I'm about to do. Can we think of another choice we can make? And maybe this will happen a different way. But he didn't choose that. He chose to obey, to follow the will of his heavenly father and to be on a cross, to take on our sins, to take on our, our blemishes, our downfalls. But then he also made another choice that three days later, hey, I'm done resting. I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna go be with my father. And he chooses to offer us that same path you can be with our heavenly father. So today we do not look at communion as, oh, we got to do communion. We got to drink this juice and take this cracker. Will you look at it as a choice to trust and follow, not just believe? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the will that you give us, a free will. We can make a decision. We can make a choice. But yet you do not leave us empty-handed. That whisper, trust, follow, allow. Let me show you the way. Let me show you what true love is. Let me let you know about my son and what he has done. God, and he's done such an amazing responsibility and gift to take on our sins, to take on our debts, to take on the cross so we can remember, so we can choose to follow in his footsteps. All these things we ask when we pray in your name, we pray. Amen.
guys are here to worship with us today, especially uh, glad to, to have all you guys here in person, fall break weekend or any kind of vacation weekend. You never know who's going to be here, who's not, but we got a bunch of people uh, online. We had like over 150 worshiping with us online first service, more than that, uh, this service. So wherever you're at here or online, uh, we're glad that you are with us today. I I, I don't know, but it's been a cool week, uh, like literally cool, like week outside. I kind of like it, but I've got this dilemma. I got this dilemma. I actually love the temperature this time of year. I actually love it. I love the colors this time of year. I absolutely love it. But I know what's coming next, and I hate that. So I don't know what to do. Here's Turn to the person next to you right now, or if you're online, type it in your comment bar. What's your favorite season of the year and why? Go. Do that real quick. And if you said winter, we're going to have a prayer service for you at noon today, okay? Uh, If you said snow then I'm really going to have to pray really hard for you, okay? Or invite you to my house to shovel my driveway, one of the two, all right? Hey, we're finishing up this uh, this mini-series part of our mega-series, this 2020 Focus on Jesus, where we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke uh, this year. And today we're finishing up this mini-series where we've been asking about the final answer. Uh, And next week we start a new mini-series about the atoning sacrifice, which is all about that last week uh, of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. And then after that, we've got another really, really short mini-series, which would be like the post-resurrection, and then we're done. Can you believe it? Then we've got to go all the way through the gospel of Luke, uh, and it's been a really, really fun journey, but I hope that uh, hope that you'll be here. But but today, we've been looking at these, the last three weeks in this, the final answer portion of this mini-series, we've been looking at these real stories of men who had this uh, this connection with Jesus, this interaction with Jesus, this, this kind of unexpected but this meeting with Jesus where he kind of forced them into coming up with a final answer. (coughs) Swallowed wrong. So just talk among yourselves for a second there. Big gulp of air, and it like went all the way down to right about here. All right, and so I don't know. Can you do like your own individual personal Heimlich? All right, here we go. That's another reason I don't like fall. It happens every fall. 
But these guys, just like Regis Philbin, you know, would ask, is that your final answer? Jesus kind of forced them to that point in life where they had to come up with a final answer. But the timing this week is interesting because while the three previous stories were about real guys and real interactions, Jesus here decides, you know, I just got to illustrate one more thing. I got to illustrate one more thing for you. Make sure that you kind of get this concept and this idea. And the timing of this is really critical because it's Passover time. It's Passover time, and that's why Jesus, along with thousands and thousands and thousands of other Jewish people, are headed to Jerusalem. And we've been talking about for the last three weeks, each of the last three weeks with these real stories, they were either coming into or passing through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. And so he first, he met, the, he met this guy who was unnamed, he was young, and he was really, really rich. And he had to deal with this final question about where his, really, where his treasure really was. And, and then, he, then he ran into a blind guy who was, uh, who was begging, first of all, for money, and then heard Jesus come and begin begging for his sight back. And he had to deal with what was he, what that guy had to deal with his final, his final question. Well, what are you really looking for? And then last week, Kevin shared with us about how he ran into this tax collector, this really sinful tax collector who just wanted power, who had to figure out who he was really serving. And then at the conclusion of those three stories, it was actually part of the text last week, but it's really a conclusion statement to all three of those stories. It's in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Jesus makes this impactful statement about himself. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, there's a really interesting dynamic that's part of that. See, as followers, we are called to seek those. We're called to leave the 99 and go look for the one. But none of us can save them. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And it's at the end of that those three stories he says that and then he transitions into verse 11 where we're going to pick up today and it's like he's a okay let me tell you this one more story let me tell you this one more story in in fact there's some interesting things before we read that story that jesus told that you know daryl bach is a new testament scholar he wrote this he said this is the final parable and Luke's record of Jesus' final journey. Uh, and, and it's of his final journey into Jerusalem. It's, its themes are Jesus' authority and judgment and faithfulness of his disciples. And the and important topics here, he said, uh, in light of his departure and his eventual return. And then he said, <clears throat> here are the questions he dealt with. What relationship will people have with Jesus? What accountability will they possess in light of his absence and and then his return? And what will happen to the nation that rejects him? You see that he says it's about relationships and it's about accountability and it's about consequences. And Chuck Swindoll is a famous preacher, writer. He said, while the Lord's followers were listening to these things, they did not understand them. Nor would they, until much later, Jesus came to establish a different kind of kingdom. They expected, and this is really important for us to see, they expected, these people that are following, they're going to hear this story, they're headed into Jerusalem, 
even the ones that were beginning to see Jesus as Messiah, they expected that the Messiah would raise an army, would overthrow Rome, would conquer the world, would usher Israel into a new golden age of power and prosperity. And Jesus would do that eventually, but not immediately. And then I love this line from Swindoll. He said, the true Messiah, as opposed to a Messiah of selfish expectations, come with a different kind of agenda. Now, how many of you have a big brother? Anybody, who's got a big brother? Anybody have a big brother that fought some fights for you, maybe when you were kids growing up? All right. Or that maybe that you love knowing you had a big brother at school or in the neighborhood because if somebody started messing with you, you know, wait till my big brother gets here. Or, or maybe it wasn't actually a brother, it was just a friend. You had somebody that would, and, and it was kind of like that attitude that, that some of those that were actually, fun, they were like, oh, this is going to be good when the Messiah, he's going to like, this is going to be like, it's just like, no, that's not how it's going to go down here. <laughs> That's not how, or at least not now, that's not how it's going to go down. And so that's kind of all the things that are going on. And then Jesus tells the story. Now, verse 11, like we said, tells us that they're headed in Jerusalem um, because they suppose the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. He has to tell them this story. And here's the story. It starts in verse 12 of Luke 19, if you got your Bibles, okay? Um, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business. Go do something with this until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him. And that he might know what they had done or had been doing with their business. The first came before him and said, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. The second one came to him and said, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities because of this. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina back, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. And he said to the noble, the master said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have at least collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has ten minus. And some of them said, but Lord, he has ten minus. He said, I tell you, to, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine... Who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's kind of a tough story, isn't it? I mean, that's got a lot of different edges and a lot of different twists on that story. So what's the purpose of this parable? He starts off saying, hey, he said he, he had to tell this parable because they were near to Jerusalem, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now that word appear here, you need to understand that. That word appear in the Greek 
is the same word that would be used for a nautical term that would be like seeing a ship come over the horizon. And it suddenly just kind of comes over the horizon and you've been watching and it suddenly uh, appears there. And in other words, they saw it all coming together in their mind. This is going to be great. The Messiah, the multitudes, the overthrow of Rome, the establishment of a new kingdom and his kingdom and and Jerusalem as the capital. And so to correct all those misassumptions, Jesus tells them this story. Now, there are some components that you need to understand about the story as we go on, before we start really digging into it. First of all, in this made-up story, the nobleman represents Jesus, all right? He represents Jesus getting ready for his kingdom. The journey here that he's talking about uh, to a distant country is to to receive that kingdom represents Jesus' ascension that is going to happen after his arrest, death, burial, and resurrection. And he's kind of given them a, a foreshadowing of that, of what's to come. Now, his return, second coming, okay? The ten servants represent all who profess, all who profess, and they're saying, all who profess to serve Jesus. The ten minus, each of them got one. Each one of those minus represents somewhere between three and maybe some scholars say as much as four months' wages. So think about that. You go into work tomorrow. You're going to work tomorrow, and the boss says to you, says, hey, I'm going to be gone for a little while. Here's the equivalent of four months of your salary that is kind of mine. I'm going to kind of forward it to you. See what you can do with it. Go do business while I'm, I'm gone, and that's what's going on. But then it says there, notice the phrase, engage in business until I come. And that represents us doing something productive, profitable, with what Jesus has entrusted us until he returns. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. I know it's probably because some of you are going, he didn't give me anything. I, I, don't, I don't like have anything that I could do. Like, I, I can't sing or play guitar like Ethan or any of these people. I, I can't lead a small group. I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah. Come on, he gave every one of them something. That's the important thing. This is different than another parable that Jesus told that was very similar, but different. In Matthew's gospel, he told a parable where he talks about a master giving uh, different amounts of talents to some. He gave this many to some, this many. No, in this one, it's a different one. And he says, here, everybody, go do something. Go do something. Now, before we dig in, a couple more important notes. And this one's really important. Unlike any other parable that Jesus told This one actually has a parallel to Jewish history, to something that had already happened historically before this point. Warren Wiersbe is a pastor and writer. He he wrote this, and I want to read this for you and listen very clearly because this is historical. He, He said, many of the people who were listening that day, no doubt, connected this story with an event in Jewish history that had occurred many years before. When Herod the Great, died in 4 BC, he left Judea to his son Archelaus, who had to go to Rome, just like the nobleman in this story, had to go to Rome to have the inheritance approved. But not wanting Archelaus as their ruler, the Jews actually sent 50 men to argue their case before Augustus Caesar, who did, in fact, ratify the inheritance without giving Archelaus the title king, but said, yeah, you go back and rule. 
All right, so just like in this story Jesus made up, this guy's going to kind of get verified or, or confirmed. Or, you know, he, he's got his own confirmation hearing uh, that's coming up, and, and he goes for that, and some people don't want him to. And so they send this, that actually happened. So when Jesus, he's the master at that. Jesus is the master at taking real-life stuff and putting it into a teaching moment because he knows that people will understand. That's why he, he would tell an illustration about uh, agriculture and farmers would go, oh, yeah, I get that. And so here he's telling this story, and they're going, yeah, we remember when that actually happened, you know? And, but it's like I said, this is, not the same, this is not the same parable as the one where he divided the talents because that was a different town, different crowd, different details. This one's different. So let's dig into it and see what we can learn. Now, I think there's three groups in this. I think there's three groups in this story that we can, we can learn things from each of them. All of them begin with the letter F, okay? The first one we'll call the foes. All right, the foes, those that were obviously enemies, those that were obviously against Jesus. And Jesus understood, as he's telling this story, he understood what Herod had done with Archelaus. And you know, the people remember that story. And so like that story of Archelaus, the citizens of this nobleman that Jesus tells the story about, they sent a delegation, say, we don't want this guy to reign over us. Jesus knew full well that there were people that didn't want him to come into reign. And especially with the events that would happen in the next week or so, that they weren't going to be happy. He knew that full well. But however, the nobleman and this made-up story, this parable that Jesus tells, this nobleman had never given his citizens any reason to hate him. Jesus, Jesus was hated without cause as well. In, in the case of Archelaus, the Jewish people had every reason to hate him because of what his dad and what they knew he would do. But, but Jesus had never given anyone cause to hate him. In fact, in this parable, even though the citizens hated the nobleman, they were still his citizens. And, and although they, they hated Jesus, some would hate Jesus, the foes would hate Jesus, he was still Lord over them. That's... A picture of Jesus, one who's hated by many yet loves them all. Loves them all. When, when you see that, when you, when you think of that, how do you picture Jesus in that moment? And, and in fact, if you're watching online, I would encourage you to type that in and do your comment bar right now. How would you picture Jesus at this moment if he's telling this story and he's really telling about himself and knows that some of the people hearing it actually hate him? And yet he's loving them. How does that cause you to picture Jesus? Paul wrote to the Colossian church in chapter 1, verse 16. He said, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now, I think, that's, I think that's a critical critical passage in context with this story of, of a ruler, of someone who's going to come. And because some people say, well, you know, every, whatever's going on, it all happens for a reason. And it's like, no, and their implication is, well, that God causes this. And, and if you're looking at things, and you're looking at things in our world today, and you're wondering if, if this thing or this person or this, that, or whatever should be, is that really what God wants? Those last two words are critical for him see what god's going to put in control and, and, and in leadership are those that are doing things for him 
If the evidence of what a person's doing is not for him, then it's pretty evident that God didn't put that person there because all things were created through him and for him. Right? The enemies of Archelaus in the, in the true life story, they were unable to prevent him from taking the throne. That's what actually happened. And the foes who oppose Jesus will be unable to keep him from taking his rightful place. Because Revelation nineteen sixteen says that when Jesus returns, he will return as what? King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who he's going to be. But then look at verse 27, man. This is, this is hard. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That sounds harsh. That sounds hard. But guys, we've got to dig into this and understand. There's no way to sugarcoat the severity and irreversibility of the judgment for those who reject Christ. It's a life and death deal for all eternity. And I think this one verse should serve as a sobering warning to anyone who would choose to reject Jesus. He's coming to reign, right? So those are the foes. But then the good side is there are some faithful. There are some foes, but there are some faithful to Jesus. This is the cool part. Because when the king returned, not only did he do away with his foes, but he rewarded his friends. Those who had served him faithfully and productively, they were rewarded. They got a bonus. It was like the boss came back and said, way to go. And, and here's this special bonus. Take a second. Maybe once again, if you're online, type this in. What's the best bonus you ever got in life? Now, hopefully it wasn't the... Clark Griswold, you thought you were going to get a bigger bonus than you did, and you got the Jelly of the Month Club. What's the best bonus you ever got in life? Because this guy comes back, and he starts calling the servants. Notice he calls all the servants together, who had each been given one minor. They'd each been given the same thing. And he brought them to see, got to see how, how'd you do doing business, because that's what he told them to do. And there's two groups of servants it ends up being two groups. There's the faithful and the phony. And they both look the same until you start analyzing the fruit. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's kind of the representation of what happens in this story. The master comes back, and everybody's got to come stand before the master to be judged based on what they did with what they had been given. And the first and the second servants, man, they rocked it. And said, here, Lord, here, here your mina, and it made ten more. Wow, that, that's like a thousand percent. And, and the other one said, here's your, here's your mind, and here's like five more. That's like 500%. I mean, I mean that's, that's huge return. Lord, here is your mind, not mine, the key there, not, not mine. Here is your mind, and 10 minus more. Here's your mind, and five minus more. And the rewards were astounding. Did you catch that as we were reading it through it? He, he said to the first guy here, well, way to go, way to go. You, I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. 10, like, ten, like he, you're like now mayor of 10 cities. Now, if you've ever been mayor, you may not think that was such a great reward, all right? But here, here are 10 cities. 
Or to the second guy, here's five cities. The reward for the faithful was outstanding. So we got foes. We got faithful. Told you there were three groups. One more. That's the false. The false. And I find this to be the most intriguing of all three groups. Because the first two are pretty obvious, aren't they? Those that are either all in or all out. They're all out or they're all in. They're, they're, and this group here is neither. In fact, look at verse 20 in your text. It says, the, the, way, the, the way that uh, Luke tells this is, then came another. Then came another. But the word there is not alos in the Greek. It's not the word alos, which would mean another of the same kind. It's actually the word heteros. Heteros, which is another of a different kind. This guy's completely different than all other. He took the mina that had been given to him, and he like got a handkerchief, wrapped it up, and put it in the sock drawer. Don't want to lose this. Don't want to mess this up, all right? He put it away. This week I was online. I was reading some things about choices and consequences, and I, I, I've actually found a blog called Choices and Consequences. So I started reading it, and the guy that wrote the blog kind of, suggested two or three different scenarios. Let me read one of them to you. He said, in three weeks' time, just imagine, in three weeks' time, you have a big presentation to a long-hoped-for new client. Three weeks is plenty of time, though, so each day you sit down at your computer, and instead of working on your presentation, you play game after game of, I don't know, desktop tower defense or whatever. Three weeks and a day later... You're clearing out your desk after being let go for failing to land that needed client. Hmm. Choices have consequences. Let me say that again because we need to hear that. Choices have consequences. Say it one more time because if you're a parent, you need to make sure your kids understand this. Choices have consequences. Not only was this last servant lazy. But he actually blamed the king. Did you hear? Did you catch that when we were reading it? He said, I was afraid of you. It's your fault. <laughs> it's your fault that I didn't do anything. I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit. You read what you didn't sow. See, he's playing the blame game. And what that reminds me is, because in our world today, we see the blame game all the time, Right? It's never anybody's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. But guess what? The blame game is not a new game. But it's the same game that's been going on since Genesis 3. What do you mean, God? Yeah, we we ate, but I only ate it because she ate it. (laughs) And we both only ate it because that talking snake told us to. It's always been this blame game, and that's not a new game. But then it gets even worse, as if you can imagine, it gets even worse. Not only did he accuse the king of being unfair and unreasonable, he accused the king of being a thief, taking what really wasn't his. But look at verse 22. The rebuke of the king exposes the, actually the wicked heart of the servant. He says, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not at least put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it. Then It may not have been 500% or 1,000%, but it would have been something. It would have been something. You, you just didn't do anything. It wasn't that you tried something and it didn't work. That would have been okay. You didn't do 
anything, squat, nada, nothing. You see, this third servant, we see the epitome of false believers. Had to be a false believer. Couldn't be a true follower. Because look at how Jesus refers to him. He talks about him being wicked or worthless. And understand this. Jesus would never refer to any of his children as wicked or worthless. How's that make you feel? How's that make, maybe you need to write, write yourself a note of that. If you're really following Jesus, if you're trying, he'll never call you. He'll never call you wicked or worthless. If you're watching online, how's that make you feel? See, the king pronounces judgment on this wicked servant. He says, take the minor from him. Give it to the one who has 10 minus. Some people say, well, that's not fair. They already got 10. Well, actually, he had 11, okay? Because like he'd had one and it made 10 more. And that's not fair. They already got too much. So what? They're doing something productive with it, right? And the king responded, I tell you that everyone who has more, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even when he has to be taken away. I think this is where the rubber really hits the road. Because there are always consequences to our actions. Many of them are earthly consequences, but, but some aren't. Some people do stuff and you say, well, okay, when's, you know, we're kind of like those people that were walking with Jesus thinking, this is going to be great, this is going to be it. And it's like they just skate by. <laughs> they don't get caught. Nothing happens. <laughs> Come on. You might skate by for a while, but the day will come when all of our unforgiven actions have eternal consequences. See, it's not about how much. It's just about what are you doing for the kingdom? What are you doing for the kingdom? There's some valuable lessons that we can learn from this parable, and we'll finish with those. Let me give you just four. These are going to be quick, and we're going to be done. Four valuable lessons. Number one, those who rebel will ultimately be punished. Those who turn on the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, there will be a punishment. There are consequences to actions or to the lack of actions. See, not doing anything is, is an action. And there's consequences to our actions. Here, lesson number two, and this one, this one may be the most important lesson. This is a valuable lesson here. Uh, catch this. God expects us to do our best, not be the best. Do you see the difference between those? God expects us to do our best, not be the best. Because at the end of the day, if everybody's doing their best, somebody is going to be faster, but you just got to run hard. Somebody might be stronger, but you just got to lift hard. God is, not, God is not expecting us to be the best, just to do our best, to do the best we can with whatever we've got. And see, the guy that ended up with one mind and came back with five, he kind of was rewarded at the same level. The, the master said, well done, well done. Third valuable lessons. Lesson. The true servants of Jesus 
serve Jesus. You with me? True servants of Jesus actually serve Jesus. See, see, calling yourself a servant doesn't make you a servant, right? What makes you a servant? Serving makes you a servant. It's critical. It's important. It's why it's on the wall over there. Those, those five things that we said, those, that's the DNA. That's the core values of, of, of faithful followers. And one of them is that they serve. That they serve. You can't just call yourself a servant. You can't be on the receiving end of God's blessings and then squander those blessings. Fourth valuable lesson. Jesus rewards faithfulness. Are you trying? Even when life ain't going well, are are you trying? Are you plugging away? Are you doing everything you can to be faithful? The Bible doesn't talk about God rewarding success. He rewards faithfulness. And he'll judge the success, but it's judged on the faithfulness. Are you trying? That that blog I told you I read that had the hypothetical situation about playing computer games instead of of making the project or the process to get the new client. The the author of that, that blog actually did say something that I totally disagree with, just fundamentally disagree with. He said in his blog, he said, you can choose your actions or you can choose your consequences, but you can't choose both. I totally fundamentally disagree with that. Because if you choose the right actions, you're choosing your consequences. The, 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 the actions we choose, the consequences are already tied to that. They, we don't get to be, if we choose the right action, we are choosing the consequence. Jesus said, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. Be faithful unto death is choosing the action. Crown of life is the consequence that's already preordained for those who are faithful. So as we wrap up this mini-series, what's the final answer? The big question today, if you haven't figured it out, is why am I here? When the master calls and starts hitting things, why am I here? The final answer is very simple. To be faithful. Just to be faithful. Just to get up today and be faithful. To get up tomorrow and be faithful. To get up next week and to be faithful. And for every day that you can get up, to be faithful with whatever the master has given you. Just be faithful. And part of that is receiving Jesus into your life. Would you guys stand with me? Ethan and the guys are going to lead us in that song again. And as we sing that song, maybe you've never taken the first step of faith to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. And and I'll be right down here by the side today. I'd love to greet you. I know Pat, one of our elders, Bradley. we got some guys here. Steve's down. we got some people who love to pray with you. Uh, If you just need that, or maybe you just need to make some kind of decision in your life today, right where you are. Maybe you need to come up and kneel and pray. Just be faithful.
favor and have a seat for just one second. One second, we'll be done. Hey, uh, if you're new here today, this is your first time in, we're so glad that you chose to come and check us out. Uh, out in the lobby, there's this huge orange wall with big white letters that say, I'm new. Would you, we'd invite you to stop by there. We've got a special gift for you. Brett and his crew are out there. Uh, they'd love to meet you. We've got our next step room, which is right through that door. You can come in out in the lobby. If you're trying to figure out what do I do next around here, I want to get plugged in. Uh, we did our pathways for the month of October. Uh, on Tuesday night this past week, in addition to a baptism we had last weekend, uh, we had nine people that came to Pathways for the first time and said, yeah, we want to be a part of the church. So nine new members of the church Tuesday night. Uh, and so look for the next path. Yeah, absolutely. Celebrate that. Uh, next Pathways is November the 10th. So if you'd like to come to Pathways then, uh, get a free dinner, get free child care, all that kind of stuff, uh, and get connected to the body, that would be really cool. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about for a while, I want to invite you to get involved in and to actually serve this way, is we've been talking about praying for our city and for our region. And, and, and there's, there's several churches that are getting involved in this. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that our community ha- has been healthy and safe for the most part uh, for the last uh, several months of some of the craziness that we've been seeing around is there's a group of ministers, uh, pastors, black, white, there's law enforcement on every agency imaginable that meet here together every other Thursday and just talk about what's going on and pray. And one of the things that we're trying to do is get every day of the month covered in prayer. And so our day uh, starting this month is the fourth Monday of the month. 
All right, so that's two weeks from tomorrow. And what we got, we've taken the 24-hour day, we've divided it in 30-minute uh, increments, so we needed a minimum of 48 people. But we said all along, even if we, you know, if we miss one half-hour slot, but we got 20 people praying in another one, that's a win. All right, more people praying, that's a win. But here's the deal. Over there, just below the cross, on the table just below the cross, there are three sheets. The one in the middle has got, like, the most on it because that's, that's just making sure we get every slot filled. And the other two are like, okay, somebody took, your slot on the main sheet just fill in on the other just pray whenever okay so here's the deal we're down and we only got about 10 slots left to fill uh, to make sure we got the whole day covered 10 or 13 slots something like that so as soon as we're done today if you would just say one day a month i'll take 30 minute slot and i'll be praying for our community and for the things that are going on for leaders for our law enforcement for first responders just for peace and god to reign here if you would do that would please go over there and sign up for that um, before you leave today that would really, really help us out. And in two weeks from today, uh, we'll give you instructions about what that's going to look like for the next day. All right. Last thing before we dismiss, Steve Johnson, one of our elders, uh, wants to just say a word to you. And then when he's done, we will be dismissed. Morning. Um, October nationally is Pastor and Ministry Appreciation Month. And we have a unique way of celebrating that here at Shelby Christian. But first, I want to make a comment. We've been through some difficult times the last six months. But the ministry has not stopped, has it? We just heard. There's been baptisms. There's been souls saved. There's been ministries started. There's been teaching con conducted. So that we have an outstanding staff that has been able to work throughout that entire difficult time. I always think back, we have a minister of involvement. How would you like to be the minister of involvement when everything shut down? Pretty tough. But he did. He, per he persisted. He pursued. So what the elder team would like everyone to do is to do three things. Pray, postal, and purchase. And you say, what's all that mean? Well, number one, pray for all the staff. Now, if you get the e-newsletter e and email, the entire list of the staff is at the bottom of the e email news. Pray for them individually. Make it personal. Pray for their protection, for their health, for wisdom, and for encouragement. The second P, postal. Wait a minute. We don't want to get postal, do we? Postal means take time. Write a note. Send a card to the office for all the staff to share. Let them know how they have impacted your life. Give them a story to enjoy. And the third P is purchase. And what we're talking about there, if you have the wherewithal, purchase gift cards for stores or restaurants, and they'll be accumulated and distributed to the staff. But this is a point where you get to show your appreciation not only to the staff, but to the families. Because when you devote your life to the ministry of Christ, it's a 24-7 job. It affects the families, too. 
So we have to show our appreciation for the families as well so they can enjoy it. That they're not left out. Because the families are not behind them, they are with them. In the forefront. And I think many of you realize that. The phone calls come at night. Maybe during dinner. Maybe during time they're working with their children. Or on their day off. Or is there a day off when you're in ministry? (laughs) I doubt it. So, keep in mind, we want to pray. We want to postal. And if you got the wherewithal, we want to purchase those gift cards. The gift cards you can bring next week and the weeks throughout the month in the white buckets at the door. And for those online, you can mail them into the store, into the uh, office as well. The good old address is 2375 Frankfurt Road, Shelbyville. It'll get there and it'll take care of everybody. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you for this opportunity to be together in worship. We just pray your Holy Spirit upon everyone here that they can take the message and remember to be faithful regardless of the circumstances. We all fight difficult times that we've seen in the last six months. We know more difficult times of different types will be facing us ahead. But we just know that if we're faithful to you, you will be faithful to us. So we commit all this to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a good week.